0: You are listening to the Sungrove podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I just am so glad to be here with you today. and We just get to open up God's word and look at it. And I want to revisit some things in God's word that I've spoken to you about a little bit before. But I want to revisit them because as I talk to people more and more, I'm just becoming more aware that God has this agenda in your life. And he wants to take your heart of stone and continue over the process of the whole rest of your life and make it a heart of flesh. You know that that happens sometimes in life as we age and you just start to realize what's really important in life and you just soften maybe over the years and you change and you're softer maybe toward kids or your grandkids and you're, you're just a, a changed person because the things that used to be so all-consuming just aren't. But I believe that God in your life wants to soften you right now toward Him. And I believe there's an enemy There's an enemy who that once you become important to God and you become God's child, suddenly the enemy says, now you're very important to me because I don't want you to understand who God wants you to be. And so he wants to come against us. He wants to take our heart and make life discourage us. He wants every experience in life to take some of your heart from you. And we looked at last week and we see people just put their heads down and they're just trying to survive. That's all they're trying to do. I'm not thriving anymore. I just want to survive. And we believe that life is more than survival. And today, I believe that the heart is more than a muscle. I think without Jesus, your heart is just a physical reality. It's a muscle in your body. and, And everything in life takes a little bit of heart from you. But I believe God wants you to come to life. I believe God wants you to be alive. And so if you have your Bible, open with me to Jeremiah 6, 16. I've uh, been thinking a lot this year, just as different people have passed on. It, just, it makes you ask the big questions, right? When you consider life and its meaning and death. And sometimes you look at people and you say, oh, they died way too young. You look at other people and you say, they, they passed away after a ripe old age or that kind of thing. But the reality is we're just mortal. And sometimes the experiences and the tragedies and the brutalities of life remind us just how fragile life is and how unexpected life can be. And we have to ask, well, what is life? Well, I believe that life is more than survival. I believe your heart is more than a muscle. In AD 70, in the fall of Jerusalem, we had this attack that happened, that Rome said we've had enough of these Jewish uprisings. And so they came to Jerusalem, and they took the temple of God, the one that Jesus would have even taught at, and they destroyed it. Jesus had been dead, buried, raised to new life, had ascended after 40 days back up into heaven. But Rome came in and said, that's it for Israel. We're going to destroy it. And that's what they did. I want you to realize that from about eighty seventy 70 until 1948, there was no Israel. Think about that for a minute the year 70, when Rome said we're going to wipe it off the map. So they came, they destroyed the temple. They destroyed it so much that they took the the stones of the temple and they threw them off the temple mount, which was like a big retaining wall to make a large surface area on top of a mountain. And they said, we're not even going to leave one stone up on top of that mountain anymore, the temple, and they threw it off. And if you go to Israel with us in 2020... You're going to be able to see where they shoved a big stone off of the Temple Mount and it falls all the way down and destroys a first century street that they've excavated in Jerusalem. And why did Rome have to do that? It's because they wanted to put down this uprising. And so the people of Israel, they were dispersed, they were scattered, they were occupied already, but now they were persecuted and many of them destroyed. So There was a king in Israel named King Herod. King Herod was a megalomaniac and he just absolutely was so narcissistic that he would embark on building projects all over the nation of Israel just to make his name great. Where there was no mountain, he would say, I want a palace on this mountain. The the engineer said, there's no mountain there. He said, that's right, build one. So they literally would build up a mountain where there was no mountain and then they would put a palace on top of it. He might visit there Several times. Out in the desert in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, out in the desert, there was a place where a lot of people in AD 70, when the fall of Jerusalem happened, these Jewish people fled out to a fortress that was previously a palace built by Herod. It's a three-story palace built on the side of a cliff. It's an amazing structure, and it was beautiful, like this amazing summer palace. And you go down there, and Herod had it built to make his name great. And I want you to know that Herod only visited there once. He said, I want you to build me a palace. They built him a palace. You know how many times he goes? One time. Why? Because he just wants to make his name great. He wants people to say, this is Herod's palace? Are you kidding me? But they build this fortress, and within the fortress there's a palace. Let me show you a picture here of Masada. So this is a siege ramp where you see people walking down right now. That actually is a siege ramp that you can see. For three years, Rome came against this mountain fortress, and they couldn't get in. They couldn't breach the walls, so they had to build a siege ramp to get the the, uh, vehicles up there to break through the wall. And so they had to build it, and they built it for three years. And they used Jewish slaves to do it because the Jewish people on top wouldn't throw rocks off and kill their own people. So three years, they can't get to the people. Three years, they're saying, how do they have water? But Herod was ingenious and had built a cistern system so that when the flash floods happened in the desert, it would catch water and funnel it into an area where they could bring it up inside the mountain. Romans had no idea where it was or how to get to it, otherwise they would have cut off the water source. People inside would have got thirsty. They would have surrendered. They said, how do they have food in there? There's only one snake trail up. Let me show you the other picture of this other side of the mountain. So you see that little winding trail there on the mountain, that's a little snake trail, and it's the only way up and down until the Romans built the siege ramp on the other side. So way out in the distance, the shine you see there is the Dead Sea. So it's in the desert. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. It's hot. It's sticky. There are cables running down there because that's the cable car I took to get to the top of the mountain where most of our group hiked up that trail. Now, please, I did it the year before, and I was pretty sure I might not make it to 10 years at Sun Grove Church hiking up that trail, but that's the only way to go. And so Rome went around the back, and they destroyed it. Why do they have to go get those people? They had to do it as a matter of principle. It's not that the people at Masada were a threat to Rome. It was the principle of the matter. Nobody, nobody rebels against Rome. And they made sure that that message made it out to the world. And so they built this siege ramp. They're about to breach the walls to break through, and the night before they break through, the people of Israel on that hill it's one of the greatest tragedies in the history of Israel they chose that they would rather die than be slaves of Rome and so in a horrible not the best decision tragedy they took all their lives together when Rome broke through the wall there was no one there but dead Israelis life and its tragedies will take your heart they'll take pieces of your heart we're mortal we have to say what a tragedy that was and it is that way when people make horrible decisions and maybe they take their own life and maybe it's impacted your family it's impacted our family and we see that and we go well how do we go through these experiences where people make terrible decisions, where life is brutal, where awful things happen, and how do we have a heart that's alive? How do we have a heart that keeps going on? How do we have a heart that will thrive until the day we meet Jesus face to face? How do we keep going? Are we just going to throw our hands up and give up and say, I'm just trying to survive? But I believe that life is more than the survival. I believe your heart is more than a muscle In Jeremiah 6, 16, it says this. This is what the Lord says: stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your what? Your souls. But you said, We will not walk in it. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, Look at the ancient ways. Look at the ways that predate you. Look at the way that people who had hearts of stone begin to have hearts of flesh and begin to thrive in life. What did they do to renew the heart? And they said, follow the Lord, walk in it, you'll find rest for your souls. But the people rigidly said, we will not do it. We know we should do it, but we won't. And I want you to know today that there's choice. You have the choice to do the things that predate you, that God designed for your heart to do, in order to refresh your soul, to refresh the real you. Here's why you need this sermon. Time is shorter potentially than you think, and quality time with Jesus will actually refresh your heart amidst the disappointments of life. I believe the heart is more than a muscle. And we refer to the heart, we're actually talking about your soul, the real you, right? The person on the inside. In fact, when you translate the Hebrew word, they don't have the Hebrew word that they use a lot for heart, like your heart will this, your heart will that. They have the word guts. Your guts will this, your bowels will that. It's very romantic. And that's the word they use. But what they mean is your insides. It's not just your flesh, it's what's going on in the inside. We in America, or in the Western culture, we say it's your heart, it's your heart. And when we're talking about the heart, we're not just talking about your muscle, right? We're talking about your soul, the inner you, the inner person. What What are some of the ways that you and I use the word heart, but we really mean the soul? Help me out here. Wait, what's a love that you love? Sure. What about what, using the word heart like you're cold-hearted, right? We're not talking about your heart, your muscle is chilly. We're talking about you're, you're not a nice person is what we're saying, right? What other, other ways, what else do we use with the word heart when we really mean soul? Hard-hearted. Yes, hard-hearted, good. Sorry, I heard one over here. Heartless, yes, you're heartless. doesn't mean you don't have a heart, it means you're a mean person. What else? It warms, heart. It warms your heart. Oh, it warms my heart, right? We have all sorts of things. Billy Ray Cyrus called it your achy, breaky heart, right? We mean heartless, heartfelt, heartache. Follow your heart. We hear that all the time, right? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Really? I don't know about your inner person. I don't know about your emotions. But if I were to follow my emotions, that's a roller coaster because they change all the time. I want something more stable to follow. And right here, Jeremiah is saying, look to the ancient ways. Follow the paths that have been marked out for you. And you've got a choice. Am I going to do it or am I not? When we were kids, we would say this. We'd say, cross my heart and hope to, to die. Right, it doesn't mean you actually hope to die. It means, it means I'm telling you the truth on my life. It's kind of like a, a, a way when you were kids of saying, I really, really, really mean it. And each loss though, that you and I experience in life seems to cause us to lose a little bit of heart, a little bit of tissue to die, the heart not to work like it's supposed to. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's saying that, listen, he's writing this, and people who are reading this, people in Corinth who are reading the words of Paul are going, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that you have the corner on how not to lose heart? I mean, I'm all ears. Because everything I know in life causes me to lose a little bit of heart, it feels like. So how do I not lose heart? How do I go through life and not just have a hard heart at the end? How do I go through life and not be so defensive at the end? How do I go through life and not shut out people at the end because I'm so tired of having my heart wounded? How do I have a heart that's thriving and active and alive? He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Well, what does God do to help our loss-filled, impure hearts? If you're taking notes today on your outline, number one, God ransoms my heart. What does God do when it comes to your heart and my heart? First, he ransoms this. Matthew 20, 28. Jesus, speaking of himself, says, Just as the Son of Man, that's the Isaiah reference of the New Testament Christ, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, how did he serve? To give his life as a ransom for many. There's a transplant There's a transplant that the Son of Man, God become flesh, God with us, said, I will give my body, I will give all of my love, my heart for you, even while you're my enemies. I will sacrifice myself for you to cancel out your sin debt. You put your faith and your trust in me, then what I'm going to do is because I've ransomed your heart, I can now offer a transplant God makes you spiritually alive. He takes your heart. Your heart was just a muscle. That's all it was. But God says, I will take your heart of flesh, and I will make it come spiritually alive. I'll make your inner person, your soul, which is just a soul, I'm going to make that become spiritually alive. Because of new life in Christ. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he did on the cross. He's saying, you were lost, you were captured, you were without hope, you were surrounded, the Romans were beaten on the wall of your city, you had no hope, you despaired for life, and God said, I paid for you. I bought you. I paid the ransom at the cost of my own life. To renew you. To make your heart spiritually alive. He ransoms my heart. Second, God gives me a new heart. It's like a transplant happens. That God took my heart of stone and he now makes it, softens it to become a heart of flesh. He says, walk in these ways and you can have a choice. I won't do it. Or you can have a choice. I will do it. And God offers salvation for all. In Ezekiel 36, 26, he says this. I will give you a, what kind of heart? New heart, a new heart. We say, have a heart. What's he talking about? I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, he's giving you, making you spiritually alive. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a heart that is beating and active, a one that's living, one that is in tune with the God of the universe, one that can approach him with confidence, not with shame, but with confidence, because he's given you a new heart. Well, do I need a new heart, or do I just need a repaired heart? Because I think there's a lot of people in the world who are saying, I'm just trying to repair my heart. I just want a repaired heart. Get in there and fix it and maybe make it work a little bit better, and I'm good with what I have. I don't really need God. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I just want to have kind of this repaired heart. And they're struggling, and they're slowly dying of heart disease. Is it really their heart? No, it's their soul. Their soul is looking to survive. Their soul is looking to be refreshed. And nothing that you run to refreshes you because you're not running to your creator, the one who ransomed you, the one who now gives you, takes your heart and makes you spiritually alive, your soul spiritually alive on the inside. I don't know if any of you have been through a heart attack but as I understand it after a heart attack, the body begins to repair itself. And the body can be very demanding. What happens is this, your kidneys especially become very demanding. Your kidneys are trying to filter out stuff from your body and they will send signals if they sense that the blood pressure is low, they'll send signals to your heart and the signals tell your heart, work harder, run faster, get more blood here. And the heart, after a heart attack, is partially damaged. So what it does is it starts to harden and it's starting to work harder, but it's kinda like when you're, you're it, it loses its elasticity, which means that, like, if you think, picture a water balloon being filled up, it's 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 got a lot of elastic, but if it was a hard thing, you, you can try to fill it, but it just, it can't squeeze out the blood like it used to because the walls of the heart after a heart attack oftentimes can become hardened. And so what What happens is the kidneys are sending more signals to the heart. Work harder. Work faster. The heart is trying to work harder and working faster. But all the while, it is becoming enlarged. It is becoming swollen. It's just trying to keep up with the demand of the body. It's a good picture of what happens to a person who is without Christ. That they're trying to make their heart work. But the demands of life are always there. The pressures of life are always there. The weight of sin is always there. And they're just trying to keep up. And everything they try to do is not good enough. Because over time, your body begins to just store excess fluids. It's not getting enough blood pressure circulating throughout the body. And it might get stored in your arms or your leg. It begins to fail. The heart becomes more worn out in the process. And eventually, the blood supply becomes inadequate for your organs. Well, listen, when you and I try to overcome by our own power, our heart gets strained. You might have had a crisis of the soul. You get worn down, right? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, the weight of the world. And you have this crisis of the soul. But it's only when you turn to God that that burden gets lifted. Trying to go through better experiences and put a happy face on it and other things, they don't really work. But you've got to turn toward God. That's what the command is, to turn toward the living God, and he will restore your soul. Where does your soul find rest? My soul finds rest in God alone, Psalm 42 tells us. My soul finds rest in God alone. I mean, I don't mean to say that everything turns great when you turn your heart over to God, but what I mean is that God has given you a new heart and he knows how to refresh it. He knows how to make it soft again. He knows how to give you hope when you are experiencing fear. He knows how to give you courage when you are afraid. He knows how to give you the ability to risk again and to live again when life wants to disappoint. That's called perseverance, endurance, the ability to overcome. God gives you a new heart, a transplant, if you will. And here's the beautiful thing. When God makes the soul come alive spiritually, when he gives us that new heart, that heart has the capacity to handle anything. People, I sometimes say, it's a wrong statement, but people say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. What? Yes, he does, Life will give you more than you can handle. I'm always facing more than I can handle. But God makes your soul spiritually alive, and through Christ, you can handle what life throws at you. You have the capacity now. You've got a heart that is empowered by the spirit of the living God. You've got a soul that is awakened from being spiritually dead and now is spiritually alive, and God will carry you through the good work he began in you. He'll carry it through to the day of completion. You're going to make it. And you doubt you're going to make it, but you're going to make it. And God loves you. And he believes that life is more than survival and that your heart that he gives you is more than a muscle. He loves you that much. I believe that God gives us some spiritual medicines. You say, why do we need spiritual medicines? Well, when you have a transplant, the doctors have to give you anti-rejection medicines, so that your body doesn't reject this new work, this new heart inside of you, right? Your body has to accept it, and keep it, and pretend like it's, it's, it's your own. It's really your heart, and I believe that God gives us, it's not just a moment of praying, God, I believe in you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Please renew me, and can, I confess my sin, and I'm forgiven of my sin, and that's all you do. No, I believe God's given us some practices that work like spiritual medicines, I believe that the study of God's word renews us. I believe that time in a circle group with other believers and gathering together with believers on the weekend and worshiping God renews us. I believe that seeking God in prayer and having an ongoing conversation with Him and approaching Him in the ancient ways. And what do I mean by ancient ways? Just talk to God, read His word, grow in the scriptures learn from him. He will strengthen you. The same word that spoke the universe into being is available to you right here, and it has this capacity to renew you right where you are. So you got to get alone with him. See, if you just try to say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, for my new heart, but I'm not willing to get alone with you. I'm not willing to renew it. What happens? Sometimes your flesh is going to say, man, I don't think this thing really took to reject that. I don't think Christianity is working out for you. I don't think you really feel close to God. Now you're basing it all on feelings. You're not basing it on the fact that your ransom was paid, that God's got the receipt in his pocket. He's going, it's done deal. Like, I ransomed you. It's done. I've given you this new heart. I've made your soul come alive. But you can draw near to me. And when you draw near to me, you will find that I'm right there for you. I haven't put up a bunch of conditions. I haven't said, clean up your life, get your act together. Put a smile on your face, wash your face. He hasn't done that. God's saying, "Come to me as you are," and I'm right there. I want to take your heart of stone, your heart that's worn down by life, and I want to renew it. So, number three on your outline: God lives in my heart, but you are not God. What happens? amazing thing, that the Holy Spirit of God indwells your soul, your inner person, your being. And now you who were formerly just on your own, now have God's Holy Spirit living in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now exists and dwells and lives in you. Picture that for a moment. The power that raised a dead body of Jesus from the grave is the same Spirit of God that's living in you. You. He not only ransoms your heart, He gives you a new heart, and then He lives in your heart. But you're not God. I don't want you to get a God complex. There are no openings in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's it. There's not a you that falls after that. But God indwells you as a deposit. What does He do? He gives you this deposit. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And this is a deposit that when this body, this rental, gets turned back in, that your soul, the real you, stays alive. You ever heard people say, well, I'll just rest when I'm dead? Well, that's just kind of stupid. Because one, your soul is going to be separated from your body, and your body is going to not just, it's going to decay. Right? It's a rental. You gave it up. That's not even you anymore. That thing that needed a lot of rest because you were tired, well, it, it's done. It's laid down. You turned it back in. But your soul is alive and your soul will live forever somewhere. The question is, where are you going to live? Are you going to live alive in the presence of God in heaven that 60 seconds after you are dead, you are in the presence of your creator? Or will you say, no, I think I'm going to try to survive through life of my own. I don't need God. I don't believe in Jesus. And 60 seconds after you're dead, you're going to say, I am forever separated from the God who wanted to give me a new heart in the first place, forever. God lives in your heart when you turn your heart toward him. Ephesians three seventeen, Paul writes, so that Christ may dwell in your what? In your heart, through faith. How does God get there? Through faith. It's through placing your belief and your trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. It's saying, God's going to, He has ransomed my heart because Jesus ransomed my heart. I didn't get my heart clean, I didn't figure it out, I didn't get it all together. God did it. So my ransomed, new, God-dwelling heart is who I really am. And through Jesus, your soul has been saved. The real you is new. God lives in you. And the best way to renew your existing, new, spiritually alive heart is to get alone with Jesus. So how are you going to do that? Life drains, but you need to get alone with Jesus. Life disappoints, but you can get alone with Jesus. Life confuses, but you can read God's word and be in prayer with Jesus. Life takes But you can be with Jesus who gives even of himself life hurts but escape with Jesus fills you up if you're tired how are you going to renew your soul your inner person it's by getting alone with Jesus so let me ask you this how are you going to do that this week how are you going to get alone with Jesus make it specific I want you to write it down your outline what am I specifically going to do this week when am I going to do it And what am I going to do to be alone with God because my soul finds rest in God alone? So the question is, when are you going to get alone with God? That's your opportunity this week. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, as you think about that. If you're a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, keep thinking about that. What am I specifically going to do to get alone with Jesus this week? But maybe you're in this room and you've never understood what God does. You said, I have a heart, but it has not become spiritually alive. You didn't realize that Jesus ransomed you, that he paid it all for you. And maybe right now you're realizing, I would like forgiveness of my sins. I want God to wash me clean. I will put faith in what Jesus did on the cross, that he ransomed me, and I'm going to give myself to him as messy and as you know messed up as I am just right where I am, I'm not gonna clean myself up, I'm not gonna get better first, I'm just gonna offer myself to him, God, would you take over me? Would you take over my life? Would you renew and give me a new heart? If that's you today, the way you do it is you pray a prayer like this, just right where you're seated, you just pray this silently, God hears you, right there in your chair, just pray something like this, just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life you give me a new heart would you make me spiritually alive i ask you to forgive me of all my sin i believe you canceled it out on the cross because somehow you love me and i ask you to wash me as white as snow and walk in relationship with me because today jesus i give you me Right now, if you prayed that prayer, anywhere around the room or up in the loft, will you just raise your hand? Awesome, right here in the front, you guys. Awesome, greatest decision. I see young hands, old hands all over the place. Anywhere else, if you're up in the loft, my friends will see you up there. But God loves you. And maybe today, believers in the room, you just need to be reminded that when life takes a piece of your heart, that you've been made spiritually alive with a heart that can overcome anything even your impossible situation. And God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I believe life is far more than survival. I believe your heart is more than a muscle. God, we're so grateful for what you're doing in and through us. We thank you for the work that you do. We love you, Jesus. We need you. Strengthen us, even this week, against the attack of the evil one, against the desires of our own flesh and most importantly, God, just as we spend time in presence with you, that we would feel ourselves coming alive again. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. We give it up for what God is doing in and through and among us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.